Hello, welcome to the Classroom Critics Podcast, a podcast by teachers. My name is Bill Ivers. I'm joined today by Walter Freeman and Michael Mulvey. Hello. Hey. <laughs> and today, uh, this is a special bonus episode of the Classroom Critics because... Lucky you. <laughs> that's the kind of guys we are. We are serving humanity here. And here's a bonus episode on Shakespeare in film. Okay, so we thought we'd discuss some of the... Uh, some of our personal favorites. Uh, we're not going to be extremely comprehensive here, but we're going to make some make mention of some of our favorite uh, Shakespearean films and um, we'll and, talk, and least favorite. Mm-hmm. That's true. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about our least favorite, and there's certainly many of those. Um, and we'll talk about things like how how well they interpret the um, you know the Shakespeare, the Shakespeare actual you know the play itself and whether it it's accurate. Does it need to be accurate? Does it capture the spirit? And whatever. Whatever else we have to say about it. So, um, you ready, gentlemen? Yeah. So, Ver- um, verily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's throw one out there. Okay, let's let's talk about maybe um, you want to start off with perhaps um, Hamlet interpretations. Sure. Yeah, why, why not start off with Hamlet, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think there's like a definitive one. You no, know, there's been so many for any of the you know plays in general, anyway. Right. You know, but. You know, I mean, obviously the Olivier, then there's the Zeffirelli, and then there's Kenneth Branagh. You know, come to mind right quickly enough. I mean, yeah, Olivier is often considered the, uh, it's probably one of the earlier ones that mm-hmm. teachers might show in a classroom. Um, if you go back further than that, you, you're almost into the silent era, right. really. But, um, yeah, it was 48 when that came out. Yeah, it was so. 48, mm-hmm. Lawrence Olivier. What's very interesting about that, I mean, right off the bat, you have a very interesting uh, decision made by Olivier. Uh, where he starts it off by uh, by saying this is a play about a about a man who cannot make up his mind. I, I think I'm might be paraphrasing there, but basically the gist of the voiceover says right off the bat, this is a play about a man who cannot make up his mind, mm-hmm. which I find just an interesting thing to say. Yeah, about the story. It very sort of limits it thematically, doesn't right. it? <laughs> yeah. Because then, uh, as an audience member, you're kind of like, okay, now I know what to think. Right. You know, rather than just letting it happen organically. Right. You know? Right. I mean, if you, uh, my, my question for this would be I mean, there are a lot of, of Hamlets to choose from, and you're going to show these to kids. And we generally teach in, in our district in Nashua. Um, Hamlet is in the 11th grade curriculum, mm-hmm. along with mostly American literature. So you say to yourself, you know, what am I going to accomplish, and then which film is going to best embrace it because most of these students obviously will be experiencing Hamlet for the first time um, and I would choose and I've used the Bronick version but I, I would choose the Zeffirelli version with Mel Gibson to show yeah I see I like um, Kate Winslet's performance in the Bronick version you know because I think she does a terrific job as Ophelia you know and not to say that Helena Bonham Carter doesn't but you know I just think that you know, it's just really... If you could just kind of, like, select performances from some of the films and put them all together and mesh a movie from it, I think you could kind of make the perfect Hamlet film as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And I liked um, Claudius, uh, um, the actor... Uh, Cyril Cusack? No, what's his name? Uh, in which one? He's the narrator in Henry V, uh, in Bronick's Henry V. Um, <laughs> which Claudius? Though? Oh, which? in, in Bronick's version. Oh, okay, yeah, I think it's... Um, He's on that TV show, um, Scopus. It's not Schofield. Uh, no. Oh, golly, this is terrible because yeah. I, I, I like him as an actor, uh, and 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 Alan Bates in 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 Mel Gibson mm-hmm. Mel right. Gibson version is also right. good. Yeah. Yeah, but, and I uh, think like what's well, that's her name in um, 
you know, Julie Christie and the Brenner version is terrific as, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Gertrude. So the, uh, I mean, obviously the Brenner version is the most comprehensive. I mean, it takes every available, um, folio and, and basically combines Derek it. Jacoby. Derek Jacoby. Derek Jacoby. There you go. There you go. How we forget him? Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. And it's, it's, what's, what's the running time for the Brenner version? Four, four and a half hours. Right. Yeah. So that's a lot of, it's, it's a, a commitment to showing, yeah. But it, what's good is that um, you can actually the students can actually look look real long. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no there's nothing out of order. I don't think in the no. in the film in the film version. It's just it's very faithful to the yeah the folios. And I think that get the eternal nunnery scene is terrific too. Yeah, you know with the mirrors and everything. Right. Yeah. But there's a lot I don't like about the film uh, as well. I think that the the final way that Claudius dies is just ridiculous mm-hmm. and uh, you know um, I don't think that you know Billy Crystal and Robin Williams add anything to mm-hmm. it nothing against Robin Williams right but uh, he played I think he does well for the part of Osric uh, but um, you're you're sort of watching and all of a sudden these name right. stars appear and then you're suddenly you're watching yeah you're watching mm-hmm. stars through Shakespeare instead of uh, of anything else and they don't do badly at all right reminds me kind of uh, the Shakespearean equivalent film equivalent of a lot of the you know the film epic films you would see like in the 50s and early 60s where it was like a who's who uh, of Hollywood oh <laughs> a bridge too far starring every male actor right the longest Hollywood. day yeah. <laughs> yeah from here to eternity so right yeah. Yeah. and, and Brana himself he seems like he's a little bit old um, to play the part to play the part yeah um, and we've talked about this before. I mean, it's it's tough to get a actor to uh, who is of the right age to play Hamlet. Well, unless you know Shakespeare is sitting here right now and tells you how old Hamlet should be, too, it's kind of up to speculation. Yeah. You, know? well, you, you can do the math on the play, though, isn't there? Isn't there? Um, yeah, with, it's like thirty-ish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. When when um, the the grave digger is um, you know uh, unearths Yorick's mm-hmm. skull, it says that uh, he's been in the the ground for how long? I forget. It's going to be a, like because yeah. Hamlet was a child when he played. I forget him. exactly what he says, um, but and then Hamlet says that he was eight or so, seven mm-hmm. or eight when yeah. when York died. So you can, it, and honestly, it puts right. the age of Hamlet at like thirty two, yeah. thirty three, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but <clears throat> I, I guess Bronner may have looked not much older than that. Uh, in that time, it's probably in his forties. The mustache yeah. didn't help. You know, I don't know yeah. why he said I'm going to have a mustache. I read somewhere too where um, you know they said that Hamlet returning to Wittenberg was not returning to be a student, but was returning maybe to be a professor. Mm-hmm. There you go. Oh, yeah. Interesting. There you go. And I think Brano had done such a great job a couple of years earlier with Much Ado About Nothing, which I think yeah. is probably a definitive film. <coughs> you know, yeah. ter- it's a terrific film. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of kind of t- same type of cameo-ish type of things, too, with, you know, casting Denzel Washington and Candle Reese's brothers. Yeah. You know, you know, just kind of, it doesn't even really seem out of place or, you know, that ridiculous, you know, so, right. you know. I do like the Zeffirelli version. I do, um, you know, we have a little Irish jig going here. It's a very interesting ringtone, Walter. Well, <laughs> the choices on my phone were limited, and that's the one I could tolerate uh, the most. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, Mel Gibson, yeah. mm-hmm. no, but we... Um, the Zeffirelli version, I do, I do like. I do often show that because it's. I think it's very well condensed. Um, it's. It's honestly, a, I think, a very interesting film adaptation of a, a, a very long play. Yeah. And I think it's edited. In, a lot of stuff is obviously taken out, but I think 
the yeah, right he stuff. a lot of criticism for that too because Zeffirelli supposedly during the filming of it is like you know does is this interesting to you no let's cut it you know with scenes and it'd be just kind of like you know people are like uh yeah like that's you know Shakespearean dialogue you're cutting or whatever it's, you know I mean it's hard to be a, not a purist with it as well yeah. but sure well pe- people uh, get all up in arms if you cut out certain things from a Harry Potter book right. on oh, film, I but I mean, when you talk about Shakespeare, it's almost like oh, it's too long. It's like sacred, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, but <laughs> try casting Batman and. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but um, with with the Zeffirelli version, I, th- I mean, the the cast is is fantastic. I mean, I always want Mel Gibson's performance to be a little bit better. I mean, it's I think a lot about it. I I do like, and I think he kind of uh, exceeded expectations. Mm-hmm. I think, but I just th- there's some moments where I'm like, you know, just. He's almost like the, uh, just that's like the adrenaline fueled Hamlet, mm-hmm. you know, where the Olivier version it's more kind of um, he brings almost like the the feminine qualities of Hamlet, which I think is in the text, but right. And of course, you have the I think Ham, the Mel Gibson Hamlet is kind of like the the Oedipus Hamlet right. <laughs> in, yeah. a, in a big way. Mm-hmm. So, but I think that you know, I remember the when that came out, there were the interviews of the actors because it was Glenn Close who played mm-hmm. Gertrude at the time, and she said that you know when you get right down to it, Gertrude probably was all of fourteen when she gave birth to Hamlet. Yeah. So there was you know not yeah, okay. that much of an age difference yeah, between them, and there was that kind of you know almost like she was his friend type of you yep. know dynamic to it. You know exactly. So how motherly can you be at right. 14, 15, 16? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so Juliet's mother. <clears throat> was right. the same thing yep. you know very young yeah yeah. I, I've never seen the um, Ethan Hawke version of you the of Hamlet, Hamlet. Um, only a bit is it like a Wall Street setting, yeah. something like that yeah I've heard people liked it uh, mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen it either and I didn't dislike the Bronick version I think that uh you know, for for kids who are not necessarily Shakespeare fans to begin with, it's not one to dip your toe into the pool with. Mm-hmm. It really demands a long yeah. Uh, you you got to be committed to it. Yeah. The Zeffirelli version is faithful to the period. Mm-hmm. Um, the Olivier version is right. faithful to uh, in a costume mm-hmm. picture kind of way. <laughs> right. For the time, um, in the yeah, Bonner version, it, yeah, it's like Bonham Palace, you know, so it's a little bit more of a modern. Yeah, <clears throat> so yeah, that's that's an interesting choice that directors often have to mm-hmm. face. You know, um, do we, you know, w- w- where do we set this? Because mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Shakespeare, Shakespeare being universal, you can, you know, with Hamlet, with Macbeth rather, which we can probably turn to now. I mean, Macbeth has been um, set in a fast food restaurant. It's been mm-hmm. set in. Um, Stalinist Russia, Stalinist Russia, vaguely Stalinist Russia. Right, right. So, um, and then, then you had the um, Roman Polanski version, which you know right. is, is smack in the Middle Ages, and then the Fassbender version, which is also smack in the Middle Ages. Um, mm-hmm. And and parallels there. I mean, the Fassbender version does to Macbeth what the Zeffirelli version does to Hamlet. It sort of it it cuts it significantly, mm-hmm. um, and it, you know, again, I I understand that. The idea for for the modern audience would make Beth is a short play as it is, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Yeah, yeah, easy enough to understand too. I think no. you know a lot more accessible in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, brooding kind of you know Hamletish type of character. I mean, the hook that I always kind of you know try to do with that you know because it is awkwardly placed in our curriculum is that you know Hamlet's no different than Holden Caulfield. You know from right. You know, and he makes mention of him a couple of times in the book as well. You know, and especially like with the you know we've talked about how 
not only talking about films themselves, but also other films that are based on, like, you kind of peripherally mentioned Scotland PA, you know, um, also like, even The Lion King, you know, the kids are always, you know, fascinated that that's, you know, the story yeah, like, of The Lion King, yeah, you know. Yeah, so. with a Disney ending. Right, right. <laughs> I recently did an assignment where, you know, we are reading Catcher in the Rye, and mm-hmm. we were looking at Hamlet, and I had to do a dialogue between Holden and Hamlet, and mm-hmm. they, they, the students came up with some really interesting conversations. Right. Made some good connections. essentially they're both brooding teenagers when you get right down to it, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. I find myself showing the Patrick Stewart uh, PBS version of... Uh, I'm Macbeth more so than the others. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, not so because I I love it much more. But um, the, the Roman Polanski version, I, I there's a lot about it, a lot about it. I do like uh, Patrick Stewart's performance. I think there's there's some great things there. Mm-hmm. I do. There's only, there's only a couple of poor line readings from him, um, but I do like his performance. I think he's older than the character needs to be. Um, we've talked about this before, though. There are some some actors there who clearly were used to acting on the stage and not necessarily for film, like the character of the porter, who I, I did not enjoy his performance. No, he's not. And, and some of the choices that they made for that, uh, you know, because I like the for in that film, I like the guy playing Macduff. I thought he does a very good job, and he's a stoic. But they have a scene where he arrives at Macbeth's castle, and the porter lets him in, and then begins to urinate in a sink in front of his children. Macduff would never have tolerated that, I, you know, even though he's in the castle of his... Well, he wasn't at the time. The, the, yeah. the porter was not mm-hmm. Macbeth. And I thought to myself, that really took me... It's almost like the director said to, the, to this actor, make the porter as vile as humanly possible. And, and I, I don't know. I don't necessarily read, read him that, like, vile in that way. I, I always almost envision, like, the porter as kind of like a uh, the same actor who played Falstaff, right. making, yeah, a, yeah. making a cameo... Uh, but uh, yeah, some of the line delivery from the porter there is it's just ridiculous. Like when he says, um, you know, the queen, my liege, is dead. Yeah, so like, can you chew that scenery a little more? Oh, yeah. <laughs> or even Patrick Stewart, again, most of his stuff is phenomenal. Uh, he has a great discussion on the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech, but then he has that line where the wolf howls his watch, and you sit there and go, ah. Oh. Why? Why did you do that? Speaking of Falstaff, have you guys ever seen My Own Private Idaho? Yeah. 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 You know, so there's that's you know loosely based on Henry V or yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. I mean, I mean, I just before I I kind of would would like to talk about you know getting extremely creative with some of the Shakespeare texts, um, but uh, just before I forget, um, it's very interesting though how some directors you you have the opportunity as a film director to really add to the story in a big way like even um, just visually altering me- meaning in mm-hmm. plot uh, the murder of, um, of Lady Macduff and the children in the, um, the Patrick Stewart version you have the appearance of Macbeth in that scene right? Yeah. I mean that's that, that adds a lot to the story mm-hmm. the fact that you just see like a shot of, um, of Macbeth taking out a, a dagger and basically telling everyone um, I'm going to kill I'm going to do it myself yeah. I'm going to kill children you know and that's that's a pretty bold interpretation mm-hmm. and in that in that version I like it, aside from the porter I think the, the characters playing the, the, the noblemen the, the Menteiths and Lennoxes and Rosses all do a fantastic job of creating sort of a 
a fully realized character with limited screen time, and, uh, and I enjoy when I watch that version. I enjoy watching those actors. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing about a lot of Shakespeare uh, Shakespearean films is that they're often populated by just some, some incredible actors um, who have perhaps been in the Royal Shakespeare Company their entire life. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the movie's brought down because of the the big names you have to put in the main role. So you so you have perhaps like a the weak link could be <clears throat> the central character, All right. um, because perhaps the actor on a whim wants to be wants to play a Shakespearean character. Mm-hmm. But you have everyone else in the film um, performing better. Right. Um, so I would ask a question of you guys, and I, and I can weigh in myself as well, but when you, what do you believe, and you alluded to this already, what do you believe is, a, is your favorite Shakespeare adaptation on film, and least favorite? Hmm. Favorite? Um, that's difficult. Um, I would say for me it's much to do about nothing. You know, okay. I talked about it before. I think it's beautifully filmed. It's, you know, like, beautiful to look at as well. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, like... I think it's the height, you know, it's right before, you know, when he and Emma Thompson split up. So it's still kind of like their, you know, togetherness in that, you know, yeah. the parts that they play and everything too. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, I love it too. And she I, looks I, beautiful in it. I should note that as teachers, when we show films in the classroom, oftentimes we, we're viewing them, uh, you know, six, seven, eight, nine times mm-hmm. in a film reveals its flaws at that point. And so that's why I say by repeated viewing, we see a film that we constantly go back to and we, we enjoy. Yeah. The only thing about the um, that version of Much Ado is um, that really is problematic for me is Keanu Reeves. Yeah, but, I mean. Uh, well, right after that too, he took a break from acting essentially right after Speed, and yeah. you know he acted, he did Hamlet on stage in Canada. Yeah. You know Manitoba, I think it was, or something like that. And it was kind of, you know, kind of an odd choice, but you yeah. know he kind of wanted to prove his acting chops essentially. Yeah. Because he did receive a lot of criticism. You know, for it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think he was glaring enough to kind of ruin the film. No, no, no. Yeah. It doesn't take the film down. I don't <clears> think it's just. <throat> in fact, um, that's. I find it funny sometimes when students are watching that film. I show. I do that play too, um, and the in the film, and uh, some of them will, will giggle whenever Keanu Reeves reads reads mm-hmm. a line. It's it's. Uh, well, it's unfortunate. Bill and Ted before that too, because everybody personifies <laughs> him as that space here, you know, Aaron Whoa. character, dude. You know, but it's actually pretty good. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What's your uh, favorite? Um, I don't know if this really counts, but um, I love uh, Orson Welles is um, his film called Chimes at Midnight, which is basically it's a composite of several different plays that have the character Falstaff in it, and it's basically the story of Falstaff. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, he edits four different plays, the Henry plays, and and all that, and he, he basically makes a makes a new new thing out of mm-hmm. it. And it's basically the the, the the play is about or the movie is about the relationship between Falstaff and uh, and Prince Hal, and basically ultimately um, Hal's rejection of um, a Falstaff in the end. Mm-hmm. And I just said that. <laughs> it's amazingly shot. It's beautiful. It's it's just uh, incredible black and white photography. And Orson Welles was uh, was the perfect Falstaff. In fact, um, I think he's probably the only actor in history who had to lose weight to play Falstaff. Oh yeah. And uh, 
That was a joke, Walter. You can yeah. laugh. I, I am laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny, though. <laughs> um, but I do like I like Orson Welles' Othello, too. Um, mm. it's, it's an excellent... Uh, it's I think they're really hard to film, though, too, when you get right down to it. Because, you know, other than that, I can't think of another film adaptation of Othello. There's the one with uh, Lawrence Fitch, Fitchburn, right? Right. Didn't James Earl Jones do one? Perhaps, but... Uh, he, had, he was in it. It uh, um, <clears throat> had to be, like, a while ago, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're hard to film, I think, because, you know, even if you're adapting a play for a film, you have to make changes to make right. it cin- cinematic. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of course, again, then you tend to talk about altering Shakespeare. Right. But, uh, but you have to, I yep. think. You know, it was excellent, though. Uh, not a very uh, often shot Shakespeare play, uh, a film Shakespeare play, is uh, The Merchant of Venice mm-hmm. with um, Al Pacino. Yeah. As, as Shylock. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really well done. I thought he, he was excellent. Uh, he was kind, he was definitely not in his modern Al Pacino persona, where he he didn't say like you know, hoorah or anything like that <laughs> right, once. Yeah. Uh, but it was great. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's a risky a risk. It's a risk to shoot that movie um, that script because it's, yeah, it's really offensive. Yeah, I mean, it's it's meant to be a comedy, but then you know, like you know, you're a Jew, you have to convert to Christianity, or we'll kill you. Yeah, hilarious. Yeah, right. So, yeah, definitely anti-Semitic play. But mm-hmm. um, again, that's that's in this particular film version of it, the, the director softens the character a bit and, and mm-hmm. makes him uh, a more sympathetic creation, right. which it should be. I mean, when you get right down to it, yeah, yeah. right. You know, um, you can kind of understand the um, the pound of flesh that mm-hmm. right. he wants you know yep. so but I thought that was a uh, very good a, lo- a lot of um, you know a lot of these Shakespeare adaptions are just movies that you kind of forget about over the years and it's like mm-hmm. oh yeah I remember that, that, was, that was well he did that you know um, documentary of sorts too for looking for Richard you know, oh that was great Richard III and, that was excellent you know and I mean we talked to the, the while ago about the whole Richard III movie you know with uh, Ian McKellen and mm-hmm. Annette Benning which is pretty good as well, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's a, another, another example of taking it way out of the context and f- forcing you to get real creative when he says, my kingdom for a horse, he's right. looking for his motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you, Walter? Uh, mine. Uh, I'm going to say that one I keep going back to is is Brownie's Henry V. Um, and again, he, he changes things significantly. He, he ramps up the... Uh, the patriotism in it and ramps down some of Henry's nastier qualities, but uh, I particularly enjoy it, uh, um, and I I love the um, the tracking shot of the battle uh, after the battle at the Emery's carrying the boy's body across to put it on the wagon. It's a three minute tracking shot. I think it's uninterrupted, um, mm-hmm. and in it he kind of in the background there's there's great depth of field to the shot but in the background he he passes almost every major player in the battle at some point and kind of gives a little uh, prologue as to what happened to them post battle um mm-hmm. i enjoy it i think the acting is solid in it <clears throat> and uh again we see those actors <clears throat> pardon me that are popping up again and again in shakespearean films you have ian holm brian blessed uh you have the character jacobies in it uh, he is, uh, and Paul Schofield as as um, the French king is mm-hmm. tremendous. The gentleman playing um, the Dauphin, I cannot remember his name as an actor, and has to forgive me. He's a, he, but he, he is Laertes in Brownock's Hamlet, and he is uh, either Rosencrantz or Guildenstern in Zeffirelli's Hamlet. So he's an actor that appears, and he handles Shakespearean dialogue very well. Um, 
And so I enjoy that film uh, tremendously. I did. I really enjoyed Michael Fassbender's Macbeth um, as well. I again, I they, yet, they, I they cut it significantly, but mm -hmm. I think that they they stayed true to a vision of of the film, and they did a very nice job. And I I would use that uh, as well. Um, Braun, I believe, said that he was trying to do something very differently with Henry V uh, versus the Laurence Olivier version where Olivier was making a very patriotic, uh, he made a very patriotic interpretation of the film, of the play where Brana said he was trying to make an anti-war um, interpretation of it. He, he does, but he still excludes, you know, Henry ordering the French prisoners killed, and, um, you know, which again changes it. And that would have been very anti-war because I think that it would have taken the character of Henry, a character that's supposed to be good, and you root for him, and he's righteous, but, but war makes people do horrible, terrible things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Um, to get back to Macbeth for a second, um, Throne of Blood, uh, which is, a, I think, a very interesting interpretation of the, of yeah. the play. Yeah, like Kurosawa. Kurosawa. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> samurai film. Um, well, and he did Ron as well, which is like King Lear. Right, yeah. right. So, just goes to show you the universality of mm -hmm. a lot of his films that like, can work in medieval Japan too. Right. <laughs> samurai yeah. Warriors. Oh, yeah, it works well, very well. You know? Yeah. Did you guys ever see the Midsummer Night's Dream adaptation that came out in the 60s? I'm looking it up now, but Peter Hall was the director of it. No. It starred um, Judy Dench as um, Titania and. Um, Helen Mirren is you know when she was very young she was like 21 years old not the one with James Cagney as one of the root no. mechanicals that's an earlier version. that's an earlier yeah like in the 30s but this one Diana Rigg is in this one as well it's really kind of trippy Ian Holm actually is Puck and so he oh is he yeah he kind of like you know disappears at different points and everything and um, Judy Dench is nude throughout it just painted green <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's a really cool version of it, you know. But I mean, you know, it doesn't yeah. really no, reveal I, too much or whatever, but you know, um it's really kinda it's a neat adaptation of it. Hmm. Have you yeah. seen the the, the the Royal Shakespeare uh, they filmed it and it's Ian McKellen as as Macbeth and Judy Dench oh, as yeah. Lady Macbeth. Um I'm not a big fan of it, uh but there's an interesting scene in there, it's my favorite scene is there's a scene with some of the minor characters and on stage at one time is the guy who played Robin Colcourt in Cheers. Right. The guy who plays the Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars and the guy who plays the uh the hunter from Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. the one who's clever girl. They're all three share the stage at one point. It's just a very bizarre <laughs> right. juxtaposition of actors. It's probably never happened again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Once in a moment thing. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you want to make the segue to, I mean, we've just scratched the surface as far as, you know, the, the great Shakespearean films. What about um, films that we find to be unsuccessful? <laughs> oh, I, I, I will start with that. I'm very, now, uh, I, uh, the, the Baz Luhrmann version of oh. Romeo and Juliet. Now, I like the idea. I have no problem with the idea mm -hmm. of updating it. And there are some good performances in there. I think yeah. Claire Danes uh, quits herself mostly. There's a scene in the tomb where she blurts out with this like single sob that's that's really hilarious. But I mean, to me, the reason I find that film absolutely terrible is I'm not a fan of Baz Luhrmann's over caffeinated directing style. Yeah. But the film is literally a pro suicide film. It says that if you die in your lover's arms and shoot yourself in the head with a 45 pistol it's going to make a neat little hole you're going to die peacefully in your lover's arms and your soul will float upwards slowly uh, over top of thousands of candles and i really think that 
you know, glamorizes him. Yeah, Romeo yeah. and Juliet is an anti-suicide <laughs> film. I actually yeah. had a student acting in it who said that she had been considering suicide until she saw how it worked out for those characters and realized that was not an option. Mm -hmm. But if you go see the Baz Luhrmann film, it's almost a recruitment poster for suicide, and I find it to be uh, offensive in that in that well I think too you know respect. like I remember when it came out it was like almost like if you didn't like it you were you know somehow cynical or pessimistic or <clears throat> too much of a purist or there was like this cult of you know people that liked it and it, you know it was just they were kind of really irritating but it just it insults <clears throat> the intelligence because it takes things it puts it jams in dialogue from Macbeth for no reason but but Friar it shows Friar Lawrence marrying Romeo and Juliet mm -hmm which we don't see in the play, but right. they just take a speech from early in the play and jam it in there as the wedding ceremony, and you can just see Baz Luhrmann saying, well, they're not going to know what he's saying anyway. Just put right. it in here. Yeah. And it's, it's a non sequitur. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, can I can just go on and on about what I don't like about the film, but um, uh, those are my, my main reasons, and then yeah. there's a lot of sub-reasons. <laughs> well, I was mentioning before, too, about the Midsummer Night's Dream, the, the one that came out with, with like Calista Flockhart and Kevin Klein and... I didn't particularly care for that, to be honest with you. Some, Klein did a, a version of As You Like It I haven't mm -hmm. seen, though. I, I don't know how that is. but Yeah. I like him, but you know, I didn't right. particularly care for that adaptation. Which, which one? Which I one? think it came out in 99. Uh, a Midsummer Night's? <clears throat> Midsummer Night's Dream, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I saw that once. Yeah. yeah. That's a star-studded adventure, too. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer yeah. and you know, like a bunch of other people. Right. You know, I just think a lot of times when you were talking about how to put a bunch of big names together and it's kind of like you expect lightning in a bottle and it's just kind of... You know, just try, you know, distracts right. you from the the play itself. You know, right, right. Yeah, and you know, the Romeo and Juliet has a star-studded cast of Paul Servino, who uh, mm -hmm. if you want to amuse yourself, count count what accent he's doing in what scene. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Paul Rudd in a very he plays Paris mm -hmm. in a very minor role. Um, yeah, John Leguizamo. Leguizamo, who I thought did a pretty good job with the yeah. dialogue. Uh, and Claire Danes, mm -hmm. and Leonardo DiCaprio, um, and, and I did not like Leo's performance in this movie. I swear there are scenes where I see him reading off a cue card off camera. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was right off of his, you know, teen heartthrob success. And, and, and basically it's just a performance of posing and, and looking very pretty. And he is a very pretty, pretty yeah. man. So, um, there was right on the heels of, uh, Titanic, you said? Uh, before. Right before, before. But they were oh, really yep. sort of, I think, fashioning him in. He just well, he had just something. done what he, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, yeah. you know, they get, he got nominated for, and then he did that same year, This Boy's Life with uh, Robert De Niro. It's a terrific movie. Yeah. And then he did um, Total Eclipse and also um, The Basketball Diaries. Okay. You know, so yeah, there's right. a lot of... And some films he might be, should have won an Oscar for. Uh... Well, he did a great job as Gilbert Grape. I mean... Yeah. <clears throat> you know, not as Gilbert Grape, but in Gilbert Grape, and um, well, Tommy Lee Jones won that year for The Fugitive, so it was kind of hard to beat him. You know, yeah, as yeah. far as you know, force of nature in that. <clears throat> right. What do you think about you know? Uh, I mean, I, I'm assuming um, we like the idea of taking Shakespeare films and, and changing the the period, the context. Mm -hmm. But what's what's the what's is there a rule with that? I mean, in your mind, I mean, what why would What's unforgivable or something? Yeah, I mean, okay. well, I mean, yeah. what would? I mean, well, you've you've directed, um, you know, Shakespeare with with the high school and what have you, and when you um, when you make that decision to change the historical period, uh, you know, what, what goes into that? Is it? I mean, I assume it's not arbitrary. Like, um, but there there has been some criticism um, that I've heard from different. It's, this usually comes from the literary people uh, that this. 
people, you know, directors will bend over backwards to make um, Shakespeare relevant, and they get lost in that effort to the, mm-hmm. um, right. and it becomes all about making him like um, user friendly. Right. Well, or, I remember they were like having. I, do, I haven't directed a Shakespeare play, but I remember doing a one play, a one act play competition, and they did a scene. One group from one high school did a scene of um, Midsummer Night's Dream. And um, there was this line where it says, I love thee not, but they did, I love thee not, you know, like that. <laughs> and, you know, they, and so, yeah, and, and that was one of the criticisms of, you know, somebody who was critiquing the performance and the, and, you know, the interpretation of it. And I was just like, I remember sitting there, you know, thinking that that was too trendy or whatever, because that was a 90s thing, like not, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know. And I, I don't have a problem, for example, cutting dialogue and things like that. I, I, I uh, but I think in the end, you, you look at it and you make the decision because Shakespeare as a writer for the stage one of the things I love about him is you know he barely uses stage directions he doesn't tell you when a character stops talking to one character and turns and starts to another so the actor really has to delve into the text and and it's iconic on one hand, but it's also a blank slate on the other. So you can have, say, a Hamlet who loves his mother, or uh, a Macbeth like the Fassbender Macbeth who has PTSD, mm-hmm. and you can put those elements in there. At, but in the end, regardless of the interpretation you make, in my opinion, you have to stay true to the story that was written, the idea of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, I'll go back to Baz Luhrmann. Um, you know, Romeo and Juliet, whether they actually love each other or whether it's puppy love, they're still propulsively driven to their tragedy by their um, impetuousness. In his version, Romeo takes either ecstasy or acid before he sees Juliet, and therefore it negates sort of any of the purity of that, that right. love or lust. It's just like, oh, he's stoned. It's gimmicky, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and so, again, I think that takes away from, and it's hard to say all authorial intent, what, what did Shakespeare mean, but I mean, it takes away from the story itself. Mm-hmm. So, well, I remember there was a movie that wasn't very good. It was called The Object of My Affection. And if you ever saw it, and um, that was based on a book that you know, and um, Nigel Hawthorne isn't in, in the the movie, and his character they go to see a performance of uh, I can't even remember what Shakespearean play it was, and his character is a theater critic and says oh, I'm so tired of going to productions where they make Shakespeare into a Calvin Klein commercial, yeah. you know, which I think a lot of there was a lot of that trend towards it, you know, kind of like the let's put a bunch of pretty people all together and just you know, hope that they can act and, you know. Well, we, we did Macbeth and we, we said it in, in an ambiguous time and we had uh, females playing traditionally male parts just because high school drama you tend yeah. to have more females. And so, for example, our, our Macduff was a woman and Macduff's wife was a woman and we never consciously uh, played up the fact that they would be a lesbian couple. Mm-hmm. But we just had them be in the scene together and do the scene and there was no reference to it but we did have feedback from students saying they didn't care for that they found it distracting um, and it was as much of a practical choice as an artistic right. one yeah. from the actors I had that, that could play the parts but you know we went for a look in ours um, and and I think that we we use costume not to identify a time period but to identify loyalty mm-hmm. uh, and, and the shifting loyalty um, mm-hmm of characters like Lennox, who tends to follow whoever's in power. So, right. you know, I, I think you have to stay true to the story. And again, mm-hmm. and, and like you said with that, uh, he loves you not, you can't, and again, Baz Luhrmann is guilty of this, you should not insult the intelligence of your audience to, right. to get the story. You shouldn't, like, like the worst acting in Shakespeare I see is when an actor does what we call explain acting. Like, they act the line as if they're also explaining what it means instead of letting the character say the line as a character should say. Acting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> instead of just acting. Right. And, I mean, it is a challenge because the dialogue can be artificial, but that's, that's the beauty of it. It's awesome. 
How so, about you? Uh, in terms of... Uh, film that you don't like. Film that I don't like. Um, I really did not care for the um, film Titus. Okay. I think it was 1999. Yeah. Um, Julie Tamer. Mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins. Right. It, was, it was an interpretation of uh, Titus Andronicus. Jessica Lange's in it too, right? Jessica Lange. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was kind of, yeah, hard to... But it was kind of bombastic. I remember sitting there going like, yeah, okay. Yeah. It, she was the one that did The Lion King on Broadway? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I found it to be a lot of style over substance. I, yeah. And maybe I'm not being entirely fair. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but... Um, um, I remember being unimpressed. Yeah. Yeah. You so um, I just better than anything I could do. You know, <laughs> if you're listening, to Jessica Lange. You know, but, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it wasn't poorly. It wasn't. It was poorly received. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, so yeah, it just uh, the play itself, Titus Andronicus. I mean, it's, it's not a. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's what you call a. Uh, it's a lesser work. lesser work yeah. <laughs> of Shakespeare. Apocrypha. Yeah, the lesser play. Uh, it's it's, some, it's to the point where lots of scholars can't even agree whether or not it was a play to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Some say it was um, perhaps a parody um, of some of the more you know grotesque, violent plays from that time period, because there's a lot of really absurdly violent, uh, almost twisted scenes that right. you, you say to yourself. Well, yeah, and you know, like even back then, they had to appeal to an audience that wanted to go see something, you know, violent soul. Yeah. You know, because I think of like Shakespeare in Love, the film itself, you know, because, you know, the genesis of like the play, you know, Romeo and Ethel, the pirate's daughter or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, like there was a pirate, there was a, a dog that was really funny. Ha ha. You know, like all the elements that, you know, they want for like a, a yeah. movie to be successful. Yeah. You know. So it's kind of like, I guess you, some would say that it was Shakespeare's uh, version of a snuff film, mm-hmm. a snuff play. It was yeah. like... Um, in fact, it, you know the the video that we will show sometimes, um, the complete works of Shakespeare Bridge. Yes, they refer to it as um, Shakespeare's t- uh, Tarantino period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, it, yeah, it's just it's just one of those. In fact, um, it's always interesting to, and it's probably a good thing to see you know some of Shakespeare's lesser plays like made into films because I mean most people stick to the mm-hmm. the basics, but it's always interesting. It's like oh wow, some someone films. Uh, Mary Wives of Windsor. Right. I mean, it, yeah. Uh, which I don't know. Or the Winter's it, Tale, yeah, or yeah, something like that. Yeah. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's Tell always of errors. Yeah. Right. I'm sure it's always a incredible, difficult uh, trial to get funding for even the great plays. Mm-hmm. But to go to a film company and say, yeah, I want to, yeah. I want to film two gentlemen from Verona. Right. Because it's not going to make three hundred million dollars or something. No, you're probably going to lose money. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So it's, it's, you can get always, people to work for scale or something like that. Right, it's always difficult. I just showed Shakespeare in Love and part of the romance genre when I did, you know, in film this year, and kids really liked it. I think for the most part, and I think too that it kind of, you know, I think the scenes where they act the scenes out of Romeo and Juliet in there are very well done. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it's almost like you want them to act out the play. Mm-hmm. You know, because they play them parts where Joseph Fiennes is terrific and. You know, Gwyneth mm-hmm. Paltrow won an Oscar for the role and everything. And, you know, yeah. even, you know, Imelda Stanton before she really became famous to American audiences or whatever, you yeah. know, in that role there as the nurse. And That was a wonderfully you know. acted film. And like you said, yeah. that, that play within a play, they treated, they, they really show the <clears throat> emerging joy and the way it, it kind of um, transforms the actors into the world. Mm-hmm. And they, I enjoy that film as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah very funny, very funny mm-hmm. film. Yeah, Jeffrey Rush has arrived in it. Well, yeah. the play must. 
go on, you know, whatever. Yeah, you know. So and who's the actor? He's well known. He plays the uh, the gangster who funds the film and gets the part as the pharmacist and has oh, yeah, two yeah. lines. And mm-hmm. he's so upset he gives himself top billing as yeah, he advertises yeah. around the town. Right, starring. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Is, it, is that that's not Brendan Gleeson? No, it's um. Uh, doggone, why can't uh, I Tom remember? Wilkinson. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. My goodness, mm-hmm. you keep rescuing me on actors yeah. today. I can't think of it. Yeah, that. but, you know, that, it pokes fun at, like, Hollywood as well, because, you know, a play by William Shakespeare, acted by Bruce By, blah, 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 you know, with all these other names on top of the, like, everybody fights to be, you know, on top of the mm-hmm. billboard, you know, for a film itself as well. It's always interesting how some, <coughs> some directors will, title, will, will call the film, like, William Shakespeare's... Right. Romeo and Juliet, Juliet or William Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, you need a clarification on that. Thank you. Well, <laughs> but it's it's always pretty bold because you're basically saying like right. this is how he would have wanted it, right. kind of thing. Yeah. Where um, if it were, I mean, let's say like someone like like Orson Welles, he would always you know make sure it was very clear this is based on a play. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> but well, I think Jesus. before that too, it was like a couple of years before the one you just referenced came out. There was um, the Brenner version of um, Frankenstein. You know, it was released as Mary Shelley's Frank Frankenstein. Yeah. You know, but I think that that was trying to clarify that this isn't like Boris Karloff Frankenstein. It's, you know, yeah. closer to the book. Right. Yeah. You know, but which then may it, have needed some clarification. Right. In that but sense. then it isn't when you get into it, actually, they, they do a lot, take a lot of liberties. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I think that it, it, in Baz Luhrmann's case is true because I distinctly remember the scene uh, uh, where the helicopters are flying over Verona and shooting at uh, Romeo as he runs into the church. That was very clearly in the text. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, William Shakespeare and... Dodge and, and, and yeah. Enter Pursued by Helicopter mm-hmm. is the, the yeah. stage direction I believe he wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, that tradition kind of... I mean, I, I can't think of an earlier example than, let's say, um, The Godfather, where it's, you know, Coppola wanted to intentionally give the author of the book, like... Top, like the toppest of top billing, which is yeah. you know, Mario Puzo's mm-hmm. The Godfather, and he 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 went on to do the same thing with uh, Dracula. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I I, ironically saying. though, the book was not as as well done or as well received as the film The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Oh, so his his version actually transcended the book. It's yeah. one of those that does happen. One of those cases yeah. that does uh, happen. Yeah. So as a, uh, I have a question, then. so what uh, what do you think is one of the better adaptations of Shakespeare's work? Like you've mentioned Scotland, PA, mm-hmm. Lion King, what, uh, Ten Things I Hate About You. What do you guys feel? Uh, oh, you mean like just sort of retelling of, of the story, retelling it yeah. in kind of yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, um, well, I mentioned before my own private Idaho. I really like yeah. that film. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, and, like and that's a retelling of it's like the Henry V. I, I did not know that. Yeah, I'll be darned. You know that whole uh, Falstaff character and everything. You know that whole you know the Henry plays in general. You know, so I don't think it's like necessarily because you know Canterbury's character is like the son of the mayor, so he's like the Prince Hal type of character, and mm-hmm. you know, okay. the reluctant you know um, king type of thing. He knows he's going to be anointed the next, but mm-hmm. resists it or whatever. I'd say Throne of Blood has to be up there, which I mentioned before, but um, I don't know if this counts. It's almost like the spirit of Shakespeare brought into a different uh, realm, and that's uh, House of Cards, which, you know... The TV series? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, um, I'm not saying it's my favorite TV series, or mm-hmm. but I just find it very... It's, just, it's very interesting bringing um, kind of like some Shakespearean motifs to that, you know, uh, and it kind of combines a few things. It kind of combines some sort of like the Lady Macbeth, Macbeth uh, crime team, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, yeah. uh, sh- the sharing of power, 
Um, but it also it also brings in the the Richard the uh, Third motif of basically breaking the fourth wall, which isn't done in Shakespeare very often. In, in Richard the Third, you know, he's ba- he basically talks to the audience and says, "I'm about to do this. You watch me." Mm-hmm. Where that's not I mean, there are soliloquies, but this is a case where the characters talking to the audience, and that's what's done in House of Cards. He just every so often looks at the camera and just says, "Watch what I'm about to do," kind of thing. Right. And it's just a study of corruption and evil and power at all costs mm-hmm. in politics who would have known mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I would say now I like Shakespeare in Love I don't know you could argue it is or isn't an ad- adaptation but I'm going to go um, with West Side Story but on stage mm-hmm. not not on film um, you know the film has its place in the cinematic universe yeah. and, and did some interesting things but I don't I, I, I think the artificiality of it really comes across whereas on stage I, the musical feels more natural and uh, you know I, I've directed it and been in it and uh, excuse me, I didn't direct it. I was in it. Uh, and in West Side Story, yeah, a, a long time ago. Uh, and um, who was I? Maria. Oh yes, I was. I was a brilliant Maria. Yeah. I was Lieutenant Shrink. I didn't. Oh, okay. I didn't. They didn't make me sing. But uh, okay. I, I was an adult in a cast uh, of teens. And um, on stage, it just it, it, it works. It re- it's really natural. And, and yeah, it's, I love it's, that play. It's yeah. great. Yeah, I love the movie too. But yeah. yeah, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt. You do. You really do. And mm-hmm. and oftentimes, I find you know, especially modern audiences, you show them that for the first time, and they can't get past the dancing and the balladic uh, yeah. and the innocence of, of right. the gang members until you point out what they're actually doing right. to Maria. Mm-hmm. I mean, not Maria. Um, to the um, the nurse character in the mm-hmm. candy shop. They're not. Right. They're not dancing with her. Yeah. Um, anyway. But again, on stage, I think it's it's a very moving and emotional, and it's true to the core of the story mm-hmm. and the tragedy. And uh, the music in it is great too. Yes, the oh, song Maria is you know, know amazing. Yeah. Well, it covers a lot of styles. You have jazz, mm-hmm. you have your Broadway ballads, you have right. rock number, um, and it's it really is a um, I think good. And, mm-hmm. and you know, people argue, well, you know, Maria doesn't die; Juliet dies, and, and but it's a spiritual death, and so it's an interpretation of right. Of the meaning behind it, and so that's why I have a you know definitive collect, you know DVD of that, and uh, it has like a little booklet you know where it tells stories of this and that. And one of the stories from that is that the premiere when it premiered in England, um, what's his name there, um, Peter Sellers was sitting behind the Queen, you know when the movie was um, being premiered, and he leaned forward and said, "Part of me, Miss, could you remove your crown?" You know because he couldn't see, you know, or whatever, you know, to be funny, you know, or whatever. So I always thought that that was kind of cool thing you know a little side story started. yeah right yeah. off with his head what, what? <laughs> okay. yeah all right uh, well that was a cool episode I'm glad yeah. we uh, talked about that um, but parting is such sweet sorrow yes it is <laughs> <laughs> until we meet again upon the next podcast indeed all right well thank you for joining us everyone and we ask that you um Please rate us on iTunes and um, keep the discussion rolling on Facebook. And um, on behalf of Walter and Michael, um, thank you, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.